1: Hello and welcome to What Goes Up, a weekly markets podcast. My name is Mike Regan. I'm a senior editor at Bloomberg.
2: And I'm Moldana Hyrick, a cross asset reporter with Bloomberg.
1: And this week on the show, well, the stock market was running at full speed in the first half of the year. Then towards the end of July, it seemed to, well, just run out of steam. And whether what we've seen since then is just normal seasonal weakness or something more serious, that's yet to be seen. But it is notable that among the hardest hit in this soft patch have been some of the most popular thematic trades, from electric vehicles to travel stocks and even the darlings of the artificial intelligence world. So what can we expect for the rest of the year? Will these themes snap back, or is there a new regime in place? We'll get into it with the co-founder and chief investment officer at a company that offers some of the most well-known thematic ETFs. But first of all, Donna, I have to ask, September is the worst month in the stock market. What's your so, what's so your, is
2: October, November, December, Jan- that's the joke, right?
1: <laughs> it's January, February only March, worse than. Yeah. What's your worst month personally? February. I was gonna say February too. Yeah, I think know.
2: it's everybody's worst month. Yeah, because you're depressed by then. You know, the winter's been dragging on. You like have seasonal. What's There's it called? nothing
1: seasonal affected this winter. S- yes, yeah. And there's nothing like, okay, There's the Super Bowl, sorry, that's a nice bright spot. Yes, but,
2: but that's only one yeah. day, and the rest of the time there's no sun. There's nothing like yeah. just it's so dark and depressing. All
1: right, well, we finally agree on one thing. On
2: one thing, yeah, it's wow. We both hate February. First ever. Yeah, we can <laughs> pretend like it doesn't exist. <laughs> I do want to bring our guest in. Uh, it's Sylvia Jablonski, co-founder and chief investment officer at Defiance ETFs. Sylvia, you've been on the show before, and I'm so happy you could join us again. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. What about Valentine's Day, guys? Oh, no, thanks. (laughs) No, thank
3: you. That's fair. That's fair.
2: (laughs) Okay. I mean, I guess. Hearts and stars, chocolates. (laughs) Two little bright spots in a very dark and dank
1: Can we get that President's Day weekend off.
2: That's That's true. Fine. Everybody's like, are we all redeeming (laughs) February now? But (laughs) Sylvia, uh, Mike had this great introduction of you and, and you have been on the show before, but maybe just to start. And just to give our audience a refresher, you can just tell us a bit about your background.
3: Yeah, sure. So I'm currently the uh, CEO and CIO of Defiance ETFs, but a large part of my background has actually been in ETFs. So I worked prior to Defiance, I worked at a levered universe ETF provider called Direction ETFs for a decade, basically. And then out of college, I I worked on an equity derivatives Delta One trading desk. So I sort of learned about the nuts and bolts and trading them, how how to actually kind of create and build the ETFs. And then ended up working in all aspects of, of ETFs, whether it's educating about them, product development, research. And, and of course, I have a just general passion for markets. So kind of studying markets and figuring out how they all fit in is, is part of my day to day.
1: Sylvia, let's talk about that idea. You know, we have seen this soft patch in the market. It seems like, as I mentioned in the intro, some of the hot thematic ETFs are doing even worse than the market. Is there just a beta there? How do you think about how thematic etfs at least the defiance etfs perform compared to the market i mean is it just natural to expect these themes to sort of do even better on the upside and maybe a little worse on the downside what's the sort of your analysis of how they perform in different market cycles
3: yeah and that's actually a pretty fair way to to look at it right you do have beta exposure and when you think about thematic etfs oftentimes we're sort of, I think, moving away from thematic and we think about it more like tech growth innovation. So kind of what is the the tech of, of the future? What is innovation for the future? And they're not so much like kitschy themes, right? So we just think about how different sectors will morph. But it's, it's a fair point because if you think about 2022, all of the top kind of like growth stocks and tech stocks really suffered a bear market and our ETF suffered alongside of that. And if you think about why, I'll use like quantum ETF as a great example. So, so quantum gives you access to 5G, artificial intelligence, supercomputing, quantum computing, right? And all of those themes in 2022 were, were just kind of non-existent. Tech stocks were down and what makes up that ETF are some of the top movers like the Apple, Google, IBM, Amazon, NVIDIA, you know, AMDs of the world. And then lo and behold, as you said, the first part of the year up until July, these names soared. And so an ETF like that or kind of more than sorted outperformed the, the NASDAQ 100 because of the same names, NVIDIA, AMD and such getting a great tailwind. And then 5G, same thing. It's made up of sort of semiconductors technology. And, and if you think about when the market pulls back, right, when, when you have kind of like these little burst bursts of panic because whatever it might be surface ISM is too hot or whatever it is we worry about the fed raising rates everyone kind of panics sells off tech sells off growth and goes back into cash equivalent staples and and kind of the defensive types of plays but what i think is that these are actually great opportunities especially if you're a young person investing for the long term these are amazing opportunities to dollar cost average like that's that's how i would characterize this market this year, it's it's not wholly volatile where you have everybody kind of on the sidelines, like like 2022, complete panic, highest savings rates ever. I mean, we're we're still pretty pretty high, but I think this year you're starting to see some of that come off the sidelines and go into these products. So although the performance is low or is getting hurt anyway by these pullbacks. I think over time, these ETFs are going to outperform and the people who kind of buy them on these pullbacks are are going to be kind of very happy about that, right? The future is, is technology. Every single sector asset class depends on it. So I don't think that these tech themes are going anywhere.
2: Okay. So Sylvia, you like investing around some of these themes, including airlines, hotels, cruise companies, the EV trade, AI and machine learning. So I'm just wondering what the reason is behind that and whether or not you're thinking about the consumer and the consumer staying strong.
3: Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that I sort of have different reasons for for the interest in different sectors. So on the travel trade, the cruises, hotels and airlines, you know, I think the, the big impetus there is that, yes, the consumer remains strong and resilient. They have high levels of savings. And that savings has gone essentially from spending on goods to spending on services. And there are a couple of factors here. So one is that in the early winter, it's the first time that the, the kind of globe reopened to to full travel, right? So you have the connection of east to west back up, you have Asia to the US and Europe and, and kind of more global travel happening, you have business travel picking up and the spend picking up there. Cruises, some of the cruise stocks are actually up over 100% year to date, right? And I think, of course, we're coming off of uh, some low numbers because of COVID. But you know, again, the consumer seems to have shifted to spend into experiences and travel and things like this. So Norwegian has has been able to up their prices and create these luxury experiences. Same with Carnival and Royal Caribbean. It's just they've caught a massive tailwind from that spend. And of course, hotels, it fits all of it, right? So you have, again, people traveling, it's that time of year. And then on top of that business travel, all of the people flying everywhere, obviously, have to stay somewhere. So you've seen some major pickup there. And then during the earnings season, the CEOs have just really been super positive about current bookings, future bookings being kind of back to where they were in 2019 pre-pandemic. And and I think that it's a sector that really has been a great short-term trade. In terms of why EVs, I think EVs are where the puck is going. You know, you look at the growth of the EV market, it went from 5% of all vehicles sold last year to 14% this year. The projected statistics of this is is to kind of double in the next five years and then at some point to become a multi-trillion Dollar industry. So there's so many reasons for that, right? You have awareness of climate and wanting to be carbon neutral. These are obviously better for the environment. You have the support of governments globally around that Inflation Reduction Act, tax credits, all of these sorts of things. And then if you just look at the, the stats, right, it's like one in three cars in China is an electric vehicle. I think it's it's close to 66% of vehicles sold this year were EVs in China. In terms of Norway, it's like 99%. So these are real growth opportunities. And, and that's really why I like that. Regardless of what's happening in the market today, I think that these are great allocations for the next few years.
1: Yeah.
0: OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.
1: One thing, Sylvia, that's corresponded coincidentally with this drop in equities uh, the last few weeks, perhaps not coincidentally, is this surge in oil prices, uh, and we have seen some of the airlines come out, Southwest, Alaska Air, another who I can't remember, <laughs> warning about, though, that jet fuel prices are going to be a little bit higher than expected. How big of a threat is this oil price to that travel theme? Was the consumer strong enough to handle even higher ticket prices if airlines are forced to raise them because of, of energy? How are you thinking about how the energy situation the OPEC plus supply cuts, how that all fits into the the travel theme.
3: Yeah, and that's that's a great point. And obviously that can that can certainly have an impact, negative impact on the travel industry. But you know, where where we see oil and gas prices now, I don't think is going to impact the bottom line for for airline companies, right? If they continue to rise and we do have this threat of increasing oil prices, then I do think that it it could potentially hamper the returns for these companies. But I think there's sort of that sweet spot right now, like where these companies can charge higher ticket prices, the consumer can afford it. They're sort of not complaining about it. If they go a little higher, it's sustainable. But yeah, it's certainly something that we would have to keep an eye on in the longer term. In the shorter term, though, I think next two quarters of, of earnings for these companies are going to continue to remain stellar.
2: A lot of the projections that people had for 2023 including recession and and whatever other negative impacts people were thinking about on the economy, a lot of those have been pushed out and pushed further and further into the start of 2024, maybe even later. And I think one of the thoughts that's going around now is that the consumer is going to run out of steam at the start of 2024. Do you foresee the same or do you Continue to see the consumer staying strong?
3: I continue to see the consumer staying strong. I don't think anything will sort of happen that quickly. 2024 is really just a few months away if we think about it. And if we look at the data, if we look at corporate earnings, if we look at spending data, it, it is unlikely to fall off of a cliff, especially because, as you said in your intro, September is usually terrible, October is a little bit rocky too. But November, December tend to be positive months for the market, positive months for retail, for spending, and things like this. So I just don't see that happening. I think you get some tailwind from that, and that kind of keep, holds you over till next quarter. It depends on the Fed and what the Fed does, right, and how that impacts the economy. So I think that jobs are going to level off. I think part of the reason why jobs have remained strong is, you know, also because we've we've seen some economic expansion, we've seen some growth, we've seen some innovation and in technology and things like this. Eventually, that stabilizes wages stabilize. But you know, if the Fed sort of Holds rates higher for longer, continues to raise rates. I do think that impacts kind of a, a lot of things in the market. It'll impact corporate America. It'll impact spending. We'll kind of go back to this like huge risk of, of recession fears and things like this. But if we kind of are, are at a point where we think that we're closer to the end of rate hikes and potentially thinking about kind of a, a reduction of rates in the next year or so, you know, then I think we, we pulled off that soft landing and I don't expect that massive pullback to come. Of course, things have happened in the last couple of years, right? Nobody anticipated COVID. Nobody anticipated kind of like Russia and Ukraine and tensions with China. So we always have to be aware of the geopolitical events. But that aside, if the market continues holding up the way it is, corporate America continues to hold up the way it is, cutting jobs, becoming more efficient, then I think the consumer will be just fine and we avoid that big recession.
1: Yeah, Silvio, obviously, we've all kind of talked ourselves uh, blue in the face over, but AI, such a big theme this year, artificial intelligence. One of your newer products, Qtum, the quantum and artificial intelligence ETF. What I find interesting about the ETF is that uh, so much focus has been placed on the big mega cap tech companies, you know, NVIDIA, Alphabet, the Magnificent Seven, as they're called, how, how they are sort of at the sweet spot to be beneficiaries of the AI craze. But your ETF has some some more interesting small cap companies that I don't think many people are necessarily aware of. So companies like IonQ, Rigetti, Computer... Onto Innovation. I'm wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about some of the lesser known names that are held by this ETF and sort of what the thinking is about being included in uh, this quantum and artificial intelligence ETF.
3: Yeah, sure. I'll kind of give you the, the macro overview of like why the smaller names in general and like what kinds of things they do and why the bigger names. Right. So when we think about themes and innovation and things like AI and machine learning, there, there is a lot of hype about it right and so when there's hype about something but it's also coming to fruition and you're starting to see revenues result from this you're starting to see the actual impact of of ai and how it's being used just quickly note that ai will change every sector and and kind of asset class i think out there for example biotech right you can use ai for better data to create better drugs to have better results in surgeries to power robots if it's defense better targets and, and and information if it's retail targeting um, more accurately, what you're going to buy and purchase and you know where it should be in the store, things like this. But we, we can go through every sector and, and find the application of AI. And so, so the big companies that power AI are the NVIDIA, the AMD, the Google, and, and Amazon companies. They're the companies that have money, they have budget, and they're going to be immediate benefactors of this. And we've seen that play out this year. And so you want them to have a big place in an ETF like this because you get quality, balance sheet, stability. But with innovation, there are going to be winners and losers, right? And some of these smaller companies that you mentioned, you know, why we have the smaller companies in there, because when you think about innovation, you don't know who the winners and the losers are going to be. So some of these smaller companies are chip companies. Some of them are like Umbrella that, that deal with the visuals and graphics and, and Rigetti and things like this. There's different parts of AI. There's data parsing. There's the actual chips part of it. There's a the supercomputing part of it. And, and we believe in the whole kind of ecosystem of AI. And we think that having exposure to some of the small caps that can become major players here and eventually M&A targets it's a good way to kind of diversify your exposure there.
2: So, a lot of attention as Mike said and as you just said has been paid to Nvidia and some of the other bigger ones. I spoke with Rob Arnott from Research Affiliates a couple days ago and he's pointing to Nvidia as being potentially in a bubble. I'm wondering if you are looking at some of these AI companies in and- thinking the same that maybe potentially some of the bigger ones are overvalued at this point?
3: I actually don't think that they're in the bubble because I think that, you know, that once we get past the kind of like the the, the fad and and the, the hype around AI, and we actually see the practical application of AI and how it's impacting top and bottom lines of, of major companies, I think that, these companies can only grow further. Nvidia, without a doubt, has set themselves to apart to be the AI provider. The only way I think that this doesn't sort of shake out for Nvidia to continue growing is if they can't actually supply the chips that are that are needed. Jensen Wong came out and, and gave us his his view of the twenty twenty four forward looking orders and said that. They're beyond kind of his expectations and and well beyond what the company expected. So when you have the CEO that has actual clarity into his orders for his chips, as long as they can provide those chips and barring any major, there's so much government intervention now with chips and China and all these things like, so there are things that can come up, but barring any kind of like political event, it, it seems that the demand will be there to justify the price and perhaps the price appreciation, in my opinion.
0: OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.
1: Sylvia, one more uh, interesting thematic ETF is the hydrogen ETF um, you guys offer. And if you go back, I don't know, a decade or more, there was a lot of optimism that sort of vehicles would have one day be hydrogen powered. I mean, I, I guess there are some currently that are, but it, it never quite reached that goal that they had for hydrogen. Where is the growth for hyd- hydrogen? What, what's in the CTF that has you excited? What sort of opportunity sets uh, are, are there for the companies uh, that are owned by the CTF?
3: I think it goes back to the macro story of alternative energy, we have to find better ways to to power things, whether it's vehicles, factories, or or otherwise that are friendly to the environment. So it's it's not to say get rid of all fuel-based cars, but EV is is one way to go about it, and hydrogen fuel cell power is another way to go about it. So although it's not super well-known in the U.S. outside of California, California has actually seen great growth in hydrogen-powered vehicles, but... It is actually something that's taken shape around Europe and Japan and, and different places around the world. So in Japan, for example, you see you see hydrogen-powered buses, you see hydrogen-powered boats and ships and all sorts of vehicles and things like this. And it's starting to, to play out in Europe too with some of their mass transportation options. So I do think that we've seen companies like UPS and NASA and Amazon having fuel cell-powered kind of... I, like a machine, crane machine, but all of their kind of manufacturing equipment is, is powered by hydrogen. And of course, they have that investment in Rivian too. So you see the electric vehicle side there. So there is growth in the space. I think that we believe that there will be enough growth in the space where it'll be an interesting alternative energy asset class alongside electric vehicles. But you are right. It hasn't seen necessarily that hyper growth that these have seen. So I think that that takes some time to play out. Interestingly enough, though, it remains one of our most popular ETFs. It's getting a lot of that ESG type of alternative energy investment.
1: Well, Sylvia Jablonski of Defiance ETFs, really great to hear your thoughts. We can't let you go quite yet, though. He's a contestant for our craziest thing that we saw in markets this week. <laughs> well, why do you get us started, Veldana?
2: You, you probably saw this headline, and you you definitely thought of me.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, well let's hear it.
2: Taylor Swift's era's Torque concert film broke amc entertainment's advanced ticket sales record in just three hours wow so amc announced that they're going to have like a movie film version of her concert they sold 26 million dollars worth of tickets on on the first day and i think the stock rose like nine or ten percent at first and there was like so much excitement i didn't buy an advanced ticket yet but i will definitely (laughs) go see it
1: wait you're so amc is back it's, it's the AMC back.
2: stock? No, but then they took the opportunity oh, to do a of stock so offering like started. two days later. Yeah. <laughs> but the previous record was like almost 17 million by Spider Man, which like is huh. well known for all, yeah. breaking all kinds of records. So. I want to
1: know will these be normally priced tickets or like Taylor Swift sized ticket prices for this She minute?
2: loves the number 13, so I could see them being like 13, $13 bucks or something. I, guess, yeah. I know that they're selling like themed popcorn buckets or. Soda yeah, cups yeah. or something like that,
1: yeah. Well, I know I will be sending all three of my daughters to see this I'll movie go with them. at some point. You can go with them, yeah. right? I'll go with them. What the heck? All right, that was a good one. Sylvia, how about you? Have you seen anything crazy lately in markets?
3: I think that the market itself has just been crazy. Like, if you... This has been the the most interesting market that I've watched for the entire year, and the last week is no exception. One little piece of data sets the whole thing off kilter, right? So I I think it's just if you think about like classic investing, right? We're supposed to buy low, sell high, hold for a long time, you know, minimize our our taxes, all of these things. And if you just look at the gyrations of, of what a lot of retail investors are doing, they're buying high and they're like, just get an ISM service. Number that's too hot and the whole selling the whole thing off and losing four or five percent in a day. So it's, it's just a very erratic market. It's an emotionally charged market that is very difficult to predict. And I think that that's the weirdest thing about it. This ISM number and the reaction by the market to me is, is the weirdest thing. Yeah. I mean, the Fed's not going to hike one percent this year. Like, what are we not to say that things can't kind of turn, but in the next couple of months like what changed yet? yeah
1: yeah how how much is the needle really moving compared with expectations right and and it's funny cuz it is that notoriously seasonal volatile time of the year but it's it's kind of like the drama surrounding interest rates and the fed and the fundamentals are are sort of peaking right at the seasonal volatile time it's a it's a uh, an interesting mix that well we'll see how the rest of september plays out but um yeah i agree it's been it's been fascinating. All right, I'll give you mine. This, once again, my favorite is the alternative asset space, Phil Donna. So Freddie Mercury. Do you know who he is, Freddie Mercury? Of course. Yeah, the, the lead singer of Queen. A guy. Yeah, I'm a guy. <laughs> don't ask me his real name. Actually, I think I might be his real name. I don't know. No. Can't be. Anyway. I don't think no so. No one knows. <laughs> they sold a bunch of his stuff at auction. Sotheby's sold all sorts of stuff. Lyrics, clothes, artwork. But the star of the show was his Yamaha Grand Piano, which really hyped this up in the material for the auction saying, um, let me read it here from our Bloomberg coverage. Yamaha Grand Piano that Sotheby's, with uncharacteristic immodesty, called, quote, the instrument used to compose some of the greatest songs of the 20th century, um, which, fair enough. That's he, true, yeah, probably. we knows some good songs. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give him that. Time to play. The price is precise, Sylvia. This is this is where this is, this you're is your time hostage. to shine. Yeah. What did? Oh gosh. Okay. Freddie Mercury's <laughs> Yamaha grand piano sell for at auction by Sotheby's? We'll give you one hint. Yeah. It was lower than the expected range.
2: Oh damn! Yeah. I was gonna say I'm going high.
1: Yeah. Oh. Not shoot. to say it was a low number, oh. mind you. It's like I said, it was considered to be the centerpiece of this auction. But a little came in a little under their estimate.
2: Interesting, pianos are expensive, no? Okay, so then a famous person's piano. Hmm. I'm gonna go with three hundred and fifty thousand dollars.
1: Dollars, okay.
2: Oh, pounds? What?
1: I'll I'll I'll, I'll accept either. Okay. I'll accept either. I can do the conversion for you. It, uh,
2: that's too low, isn't it? Can I revise? <laughs> I'm gonna go with two million.
1: All right, Sylvia. I don't know. Will Sylvia? Will you let her revise her guess? It's, Please. You're the other contestant. I'll,
2: I'll let
3: her revise. Okay.
1: <laughs> so now you gotta you gotta give us yours now.
3: So, I wonder what Taylor Swift's piano would go for. <laughs> there, I, I say. So I, the I think if I think hers goes for five million, I'll give him just because half of the world that is alive now maybe doesn't know who he is. Like half, <laughs> <laughs> two and a half.
1: Oh man, you guys more or less split the difference there. I
3: know who he is, but
1: <laughs> of course, one point seven million British pounds, so two point two something million. You guys are kind of. I think we have a draw.
2: No, I think I win. Oh. I definitely win. Hello, oh, she went over. <laughs> All right. Sorry, Sylvia. Yeah, I went you over. Your yeah. offer. I don't know you, you because it okay. I, <laughs> <laughs> once I, don't I know. once I said it, it, it was so obviously too low. I'll give
1: it to Sylvia. You defaulted. Fine. You, yeah
2: seven to eight act. What what do they expect?
1: They expected more than that. I don't know. I I forget the exact. I think it was like two to three million British pounds. So they got 1.7 something million British pounds. So, I mean, who's got room for a grand piano? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe <laughs> Whoever Elton,
3: paid $2.2 exactly. million yeah. for it. They That's never tell 40, you who bought plenty it. Plenty of room for it.
1: They never let you know who bought it. Maybe Elton John bought it. Plenty of that, room. That'd be my guess. It's <laughs> possible. <laughs> anyway, Sylvia Jablonski of Defiance ETFs, really a uh, pleasure to catch up with you and hear your thoughts Thanks. on some of these big trends in the markets this year. Hopefully we can get you back again someday.
3: Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks,
2: Sylvia. you. <laughs>
1: what goes up we'll be back next week until then you can find us on the bloomberg terminal website and app or wherever you get your podcasts we'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on apple podcasts so more listeners can find us and you can find us on twitter follow me at reganonymous vildana hyrick is at vildana hyrick you can also follow bloomberg podcasts at podcasts what goes up is produced by stacy wong thanks for listening see you next time